You're listening to the Blended Family Podcast, a weekly show with a strong focus on strategies and methods to help your family thrive. Blended families face many difficulties and challenges, which can sometimes drive families apart. The goal of this podcast is to help your blended family grow together through these challenges to create the peaceful and loving home you desire. Here is your host, Melissa. Hello, you're joining me for episode number 268. Gosh, I feel like it's forever since I've been recording. It's only been a couple of weeks, but it's been a really rough couple of weeks for myself and my family. Um, You might have seen on Facebook, uh, we lost one of our family pets this week, and we're very, very much animal people, so losing a pet is definitely like losing a member of the family. You know, we had two English bulldogs, Romeo and Juliet, and Romeo has lost his Juliet. You know, he was he's 11. She, I'm sorry, no, he's 12. She just turned 11. And uh, that's very old for English Bulldogs. And they were doing okay. And then Romeo, a couple of months ago, started to get sick. He had an infection. And he just looked like he was going. He, he was kind of couldn't see, couldn't hear. He wasn't greeting us anymore. So we were making arrangements for him. And I started making homemade CBD and giving him that and within a couple of weeks he started to improve and almost every day we see new improvements in him but Juliet on the other hand she took a turn for the worse out of nowhere it was like within a week all of a sudden she just wasn't eating that well and then within 24 hours I noticed her body half of her body was completely swollen and we didn't realize where it was coming from and then we looked in her mouth and she had dental abscesses and I know what she was doing. She was taking care of him and she would, you know, clean his face and lick in his ears. And I think the infection got into her body and we tried to give her the CBD, but we just didn't have enough time. And it was really rough because she's kind of like a service dog for my son. And when he has depression, she lifts him up out of that. And so, and he's never lost anything in his life. This was, you know, he's, he's about to be 22. And this is the first death of something close to him in his life. And so he did not take it well at all. Um, it's been very emotional. And then right after that, he also lost a friend to suicide. So he dealt with two deaths in one week. Um, it's just been pretty low. And I've had low energy. And you know, after cleaning all day to come home and do the podcast, I just, I didn't have it in me. My head just wasn't in it. And I'm not going to come here and put out information that isn't top quality for me. And so I just needed that little bit of a break. Um, And then it made me think, you know, about today's topic that we're going to talk about is, it's all about resilience. And you know, resilience is, is not what you do in the face of something. It's how, how do you bounce back? How do you bounce back? How do you go on when stuff goes wrong? When life gets tough and you get thrown curveballs, what do you do with that? You know, and we had a month like that here. We had some heavy stuff happening and yet we still have to go on. No matter what happens, we have to go on. And so I hope that you enjoy this episode today uh, about resilience with my guest. And I'm really not going to go over any other announcements. I'm actually headed out of town right now. 
As soon as I'm done recording this, uh, which is actually the Saturday before you're hearing this episode, but a couple of weeks ago was our five-year wedding anniversary, and that was when Juliet was dying, and so we weren't able to celebrate, and so we are leaving town tonight just for the night just to get away and um, escape and clear our minds a little bit. So I'm heading to do that right now for a much needed rest. Uh, we're going to Amelia Island, which is this little island up off the coast of Jacksonville. It's a very old, quaint island where there's not much to do but rest. And that's what I need right now. So. I hope that you guys are doing good. Uh, I'm going to get back on my feet here, so stay tuned for more shows. Don't worry about any announcements today except for today's sponsor, and then we'll get right to the interview. Thanks for listening. Living the Good Life Naturally is a self-care company focusing on magnesium. Statistics show that up to 50% of the U.S. population is magnesium deficient, which can cause a multitude of health issues, including headaches, muscle cramps, seizures, hair loss, and more. Kristen Bowen, founder, created the company out of her own personal health struggles. So she really cares, and she has a mission to help others achieve optimal health. I myself am a huge believer in these products, and I use them on a daily basis. It's been especially helpful for my anxiety and my pain. Try the magnesium soak, the magnesium spray, or the delectable bath bombs for an extra treat. And check out the website to see the entire product line and learn more at livingthegoodlifenaturally.com. Or you can go back and listen to episode number 237 when Kristen was on this show. Don't forget to use my promo code BLENDED to receive a special discount. Order today and get your health back. Kristen McDermott is a licensed marriage and family therapist with a decade of research in resilience. Her resilience training programs have been validated in four studies with researchers from the Duke Clinical Research Institute, published in peer-reviewed journals and proven to improve key mental health and resilience outcomes, including anxiety, depression, distress, self-efficacy, and PTSD. Kristen has designed resilience training programs for some of the highest performing people on the planet, including Navy SEALs and the LAPD. Her programs have been used in more than 20 hospitals across the country, including at the Duke Cancer Institute and the National Institutes of Health. She has also designed programs for schools, corporations, nonprofits, and mentors who support at-risk kids. Kristen is the author of It Takes Two Minutes to Shift Your Mindset and Build Resilience, a book that breaks resilience down into bite-sized skills that you can apply to your life immediately. She has recently launched two online courses for parents, one called Resilience-Based Parenting and the other called Parenting Through Divorce. She's got a private practice in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida, where she lives with her husband of 28 years and her three children. Welcome to the show, Kristen. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, today we're going to talk about conflict resolution and resiliency. And as one might imagine, all of us listening know that blended families often deal with conflict, 
But really just being human and interacting with other humans can bring conflict too. And I'm hoping that my guest today will help us understand that conflict doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing and that there are ways to resolve conflicts without ruining relationships and even come out stronger on the other side. So we have a lot to discuss and I'm so glad that you're here today, Kristen, to help us unpack this all. Uh, Before we get started, I really just want to know, like, what do you love doing about this work and how did you get started? Well, I kind of, it was a, it was a path, a turn in my path that I didn't expect the whole resilience thing. I am a marriage and family therapist and I was living in Aspen, Colorado. And I thought I would just have my private practice because, you know, you can set your own hours and I would raise my kids and that would be that. And then I got invited because Aspen's a small town. Some other therapist heard about me and said, hey, do you have any interest in running a cancer support group? And I thought, you know, that just sounds really hard and depressing, and I'm not sure that's my calling. But I am the kind of person who typically says yes. And so I just said, well, let me let me come and see. I'm not sure. And that is where I got really interested in resilience. I ended up working in the oncology department at the hospital for almost 10 years. And What was really interesting to me was that some people just naturally managed to get through that horribly destructive cancer experience in a way that they came out the other side feeling okay, and in some instances, feeling actually strangely grateful because their lives had so much more kind of alignment to the things that mattered to them, you know, after their cancer journey. And this was not because of me. This was just, I was noticing this with people. And so I got really curious, you know, what do those people do? What do they know how to do? And could we learn from them and teach it to others to help other people through this horrible thing that is cancer treatment? And so that's really where my interest came. And because we were in Aspen and a lot of, you know, important people come through there. And we got invited by the director of the Duke Cancer Center years ago to come to Duke and actually study our program because we were breaking things down into skills. We were not, you know, sometimes therapy and counseling, it's just this mystery that happens in the room between two people, but it's very hard to quantify. But we found that there were skills we could teach people. And so we went to Duke and that started this decade of research that we did. And then, you know, it was never actually about cancer. It was always about resilience. And so as soon as I could, I tweaked the program to take it into different populations. And just it's just been so rewarding to see, you know, everyone needs resilience. We're all going to have failures and disappointments and grief and sadness and being overwhelmed. There's no way to escape any of that. But we, we don't teach this in schools, and I think we should. Oh, I totally agree. And I'm so glad that you were able to, you know, take the program and rework it to incorporate anybody's problem or issue because we do all need that, especially those of us in blended families who have maybe been through difficult divorces and trying to come through to the other side of that. And even just, you know, raising a blended family is very, very difficult. Now, I know you teach both conflict resolution and resiliency, and I'd love to know why or how those two terms work well together. How does conflict resolution build resiliency? Well, it's... um... So I guess you have to start with really what I think at the core of both, of resilience and conflict resolution, is emotional intelligence. So the way I define resilience is not just 
white knuckling it through, you know, persevering till you get to the other side. It's actually using a really challenging, difficult time to look inward and learn about yourself and then come out the other side feeling actually like a better, stronger, happier person. And that requires emotional intelligence. You know, if you're going to take a situation that doesn't feel good emotionally and try to come out this other side feeling better emotionally, you need to understand your emotions. And conflict is really the same thing. You know, conflict is is this really bad emotional sort of thing where you feel like your emotions are being hijacked by the other person. You know, you can't feel better unless this other person does this thing that you need. And so the emotional intelligence, in my opinion, is really the key to that. So emotional intelligence is really about a couple of things. It's about understanding what causes your emotions. So emotions can feel like they just kind of overtake us and we're kind of at the mercy of them. But really, most of the time, emotions are caused by thoughts. So if you can identify the specific thoughts that are actually at the core of your negative emotion, then you can figure out what you need in order to take care of yourself around that. And so that's the thread. So for in resilience, if you can figure out what do you need to feel better and what's actually in your control, you can do something to feel better, even if you have no control over the external situation. And similarly in conflict, Conflict is almost always about unmet needs or threatened needs. We think the other person has the power to prevent us from getting a really important need met. So if we can step back and get our head out of the space of kind of blame and, you know, you, you, you have this power over me and look at, wait, so what are my needs here? Like what's underneath? I always think of it kind of like an iceberg. There's like the the triggering issue at the top, but underneath are really important needs. You know, I need to feel respected. I need to feel like I'm a good enough parent. I need to feel like my kids are safe. When you can start talking about that, you can almost always find a way to start meeting each other's needs and not feel like someone has to win or lose to get their needs met. Mm, such a good answer. And I love what you said about resiliency. It's not white knuckling it. And I think a lot of us feel that way. We're like, if we could just, if we could just get through this time and, and we're miserable getting through the time. And yeah, the other side of it, we're like, well, thank God we're through that. But, you know, I always, I'm very big about learning, you know, how did you grow through this situation and what did you learn? Um, so I think that that's really important. Um, and of course, conflict does teach us a lot of things, even not only about the other person, but also about ourselves. So that was wonderful. Now, I know you have a method that is very unique to your practice called the McDermott Method. So tell us about that, Kristen. Well, it's pretty comprehensive. So I guess the easiest way to think of it is really there's three kind of levels. And so in, on one level, you really need self-awareness. In order to be resilient, you need self-awareness about a few really key things. So you need to understand what your unique constellation of personal strengths is, right? Yours and mine are different. And it's really important to take ownership of our strengths because when we use our strengths, we feel good about ourselves. So when we're trying to be resilient, we want to find as many things that are going to make us feel empowered as we can. So using our strengths is one. Similarly, getting really clear about, about our unique constellation of 
needs and values. So, you know, what do I need to feel like I have a high quality of life? And what are you need? You know, we're going to have some of those things that are the same, but some of them will be different. And it kind of, it's similar to values with me too. It's like, do I, do I need adventure? You know, do I need to be spontaneous? Well, I needed that when I was, you know, 20, but now that I'm 50, I don't need that as much as I need, you know, financial stability, but I still value adventure, you know? So these are the things that I think it's really interesting to have conversations about because the more needs that you're getting met, the better you're going to feel. And the more you're living your life in alignment with your values, the better you're going to feel, the more meaning your life is going to have. So those are two areas of self-awareness. And then it's really important to be aware of the beliefs that shape your life. So, you know, people, it's interesting because beliefs are super important, but sometimes we don't even realize how beliefs are running our lives. You know, like, I mean, a, a deep one that comes up a lot is, you know, people don't feel good enough. Like they don't believe they deserve to get their needs met. So that's going to have a big impact or they don't, they don't believe people are trustworthy, right? That will have a huge impact in your life. So looking at the beliefs that are actually running your life, it's a really important level of self-awareness to have if you're going to try to move yourself to a higher quality of life. Yeah. So I just said a ton and there's more layers, but do you want me to stop there? Because I have so much to say. Well, you if you if you want to elaborate, you certainly can. I mean, I think this this is gold. This is really good information. So so far everything you're saying is good. So yeah, if there's more to the to the method, you can continue. Okay. So that's the level of self-awareness. And then I there are just certain skill sets that we all need in order to be in the world and handle the challenges that come at us and, you know, process information and take responsibility for our own lives. So emotional intelligence skills, that's one huge set that I think everyone needs. And people don't have it a lot, but it's really not that difficult to teach. I mean, I have police officer mentors who have zero training in resilience or emotional intelligence teaching this to seven-year-olds. So it's not hard. We just don't do it yet enough in this country, but I'm trying to change that. So then the other set of skills besides emotional intelligence are interpersonal. You know, people just need to understand how to actually listen in a way that lets people feel heard. You know, how to communicate in a way that's actually getting the right message across and how to resolve conflict. So I put all those things in the bucket of interpersonal skills. Mm-hmm. And then the last set of skills, which is a little bit different, is what I call mind-body skills. So a lot of the stuff that we've talked about so far, it's it's cognitive stuff, you know, it's intellectual stuff, but your mind is not always your best tool. And so this is where things like, you know, understanding how to use meditation and mindfulness and breath work to actually calm yourself down and tap into that wiser part of yourself that's really important too. And um, so there are a lot of specific skills that I use with people to help them tap into. Then finally, like the single most important thing I would say of resilience is just trusting your own inner wisdom. You know, that's my word. Most people say trusting their own gut feelings, Mm -hmm. you know, intuition, instinct, whatever it is. But I think especially with kids, you know, kids spend so much of their lives deferring to others. They have to, you know, they have to obey their parents and their friends' parents and their teachers and their coaches and their counselors that we can sometimes forget to have our kids tune in to their own 
bodies because we can feel when something is a good thing to do or not such a good thing for us. We can feel when someone feels safe and trustworthy or maybe a little dangerous. And so tuning into that inner wisdom and using that as a guide when it, when push comes to shove, when you're like, well, what does my gut say? To me, that's actually our best tool. So that's another set of skills that we practice is tuning into that. That was great. And I think for people listening, and I hope you're taking notes, um, for people listening, this is a lot of really good information for you to have that resiliency to go the long haul with your blended family. So many blended families after a year or two are ready to throw in the towel and they're like, this is just too hard. And so you do need that resiliency to go the distance. And some of these life skills that Kristen is teaching could really help you get there. One of the things that I wanted to break down today is really about conflict because conflict is everywhere, like I said, but in the blended family, it can be very prevalent and it could be one of those things that you know, you feel like, gosh, this is this is causing a lot of tension. I don't know if we can get through this. Um, in the blended family unit, I think the most difficult conflicts are often between the divorced parents or the new now co-parents of the kids. And, you know, so many of my listeners write in that they have a high conflict ex. And so I would love it if you could talk about this dynamic in particular between co-parents and maybe offer some tips on how to handle this type of conflict in maybe an easier way, because that is the conflict that comes up, you know, on a regular basis usually. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I guess the diff- the question is, you know, it's different if you have both people willing to, you know, try new things and learn new skills, or if it's only one person who's really doing the kind of personal growth work and the other person is, is not. So it feels like two different answers to me. Does it, does it to you? Yeah. So let me, um, let me clarify that. So we're going to do, if you have a high conflict X, meaning that the person is not really willing to work with you, um, ever because that happens a lot of times. Cause I, I think when people are willing to work together, you can usually reach some sort of a mm-hmm. compromise. So let's, let's give an answer where somebody's not willing to work with you. They're high conflict. They're toxic. Um, how do you handle conflict like that? I mean, then you're really just looking in at like, I think that self-awareness about what's really triggering, what's really going on. And, you know, triggers are interesting. And I think, I think triggers come up a lot in this because it can feel like it's, it's hitting on something that's yes about the, the conflict of the moment, but there's like this deeper thing, right? Where it really sucks you in. And so this is sometimes where it really does help to have a professional. Um, not, I mean, I, I don't, I, I think you could also do this with a good friend too. But the thing is, is like getting really clear about what is that thought track? Like if you really look into it of and go deep into the iceberg about why it's upsetting, because usually with a trigger, it's somehow, this is hard to explain, but like somehow we are taking the situation as something that we're judging ourselves negatively for. So it, it's hard to explain, but like an example helps. So like sometimes it's like the fact that this person is so disrespectful to me, it's like I'm judging myself as why am I not? Like why do I not command respect? Or the fact that, you know, I got myself into this situation. A lot of times there's like this self-blame under there that it's irrational, but if you look, it's there. And that's where you can have some compassion for yourself and find a way to work with that. It might not always be there, but a lot of times when you feel like 
really triggered by someone, it's interesting to be like, well, what am I taking this situation to mean about me and and where it, you know, is that serving me or not? And so that's just one thing I would say about the trigger side. Does that make sense or does that is I know it's hard to explain. No, that was a great answer. It makes a lot of sense. I actually just spoke recently about this type of thing, talking about how sometimes what parents do is they get into conflict more due to the emotions that they have towards one another, uh, the negative emotions. And so it might be a small conflict, but they magnify it because they already are triggered by the person in general. So that was a really great answer that you said. Um, and I totally understand. Yeah, so that's, yeah, exactly. And it just, it makes me think of, you know, early on when my oldest was about nine, um, I, like, I mean, I'm a therapist. I consider myself a really, you know, pretty emotionally intelligent human being. And this little nine-year-old who I loved more than anyone I had ever loved in my life, we were having serious conflict, which I was like, okay, this is all me. Like, this is a nine-year-old. How am I getting so triggered by this child? And I, this is, I think this is a good example of a trigger. I was willing to be like, what is happening inside my head here that I am getting so, you know, worked up by this? And what I realized is, I was worried about something go that was going on between him and his father, right? So I was worried about we're not a blended family. It's his real father. And that's my husband. But I was worried about their dynamic. And when I looked, I was taking it to mean that like, oh, if like, if my son was like, you know, if this was kind of messing with his head, then I would be failing him as a mom. Like, that's what I mean by a trigger. So it became like this bigger thing. Like when my son was upset, it was like hitting this thing like I was failing, yeah. which again was ridiculous. But that's kind of what happens, I think, with triggers. So that's what I'm saying is like, look, you know, try to get under there and figure out like, what is it? Like, what is it that has me so upset here? Well, I love that because I, I say all the time when we're triggered, it's usually because of something within us. It's really rarely about the other person. It's always something that we need exactly. to look at within ourselves. And so that is a great answer. I think it's very, very important um, for people to become self-aware about that kind of stuff. And the stories that we tell ourselves about certain things or situations or people, we have a lot of stories around those things that could be painting a picture in our mind that isn't accurate. Um, well, I love that you bring up stories because actually the way we talk about ourselves and our lives it has so much power. And so when you start to examine the stories you tell and you start to examine them for, well, does this does this lift me up? Does this feel empowering? Does it take me in a positive direction or does it drag me down? And you realize that you might not necessarily be able to change your thoughts, but you can you have control over what comes out of your mouth. You know, and if you start leaning in the direction of finding a slightly more positive way, especially to think about your own self, you know, are you doing the best you can? You know, that kind of a thing. It will it will build momentum in a positive direction. Yeah. Yeah. And always talk to yourself like you're your own best friend. The way that people talk to themselves is very abusive. And so yeah. I always tell people, are you is that how you talk to your best friend? And they say, well, no. And I said, well, then why are you talking to yourself that way? You know, it's crazy. <laughs> um, I know one of the things that some people do, Kristen, and to be honest, it's more women than men that I see, um, and you can confirm that or not, but is that they avoid conflict by not speaking up, by pushing their own wants and needs aside, just trying to pretend that it doesn't exist. And I know that it's damaging. So maybe you can speak on that a little bit on why it's important to deal with an issue rather than ignore it and also 
how does one find the courage to bring something up if they're usually quiet about things? Well, I mean, it, it. this goes back to that thing of like there is almost always an unmet need, you know, underneath there. And you're right. People shove their needs down, especially when you start having kids and families and, you know, our needs as the parents go way to the bottom of the list. And we think we're doing it for the greater good, but almost always it builds resentment. I mean, it's just human nature that it would. And so, I mean, finding your voice in that when it hasn't been the case, this is where I think support really, really helps. I mean, I think practicing with people who are either your good friends, you know, people who love you, family members, like having these conversations in a really safe environment first about needs. Because if you have been a person who has put your needs on the back burner forever, you're not even going to know, well, what's appropriate? Like, is it appropriate that I would maybe need an hour in the morning to do something totally for myself like exercise or, you know, whatever it is, people don't even have a context for what they should be allowed to need. And so having those contexts with really, I mean, having those conversations with really safe people first and getting comfortable like, oh, you know, maybe it is time for me to start getting some of my needs met. Then you can, you know, bring that up with the person, you know, who's probably going to have might have conflict about it because it's going to, if it seems like it's going to be in conflict with one of their needs. Yeah. You know, I understand this because I've always been a person that had a difficult time speaking up, but I know that not speaking up is just swallowing the emotion and that causes all sorts of other problems in the body, uh, either physically or emotionally. That stuff can cause physical problems too. And so it's really important to be able to speak up. Um, and not everything has to be a conflict anyway. You know, some, some of us think that a conversation is automatically a conflict, but that's not always the case. Sometimes it's just communication. Um, and I – go ahead. Did you want to speak on that? Well, I was just going to say, especially if you can shift from, you know, the you, you, you mm. conversation to the – I've been thinking about it and I've realized like that I need to start taking better care of myself or whatever it is. And so like this is – these are the needs that I'm going to try to get met in my life. Is there any way that we can work together for, you know, me to get some of these met and you can tell me about yours? You know, when you start – I mean, I know it sounds kind of dumb to talk that way, but it actually is neutral territory and it gives – both people a place to say, well, okay, well, I have an important need too. Okay. So how can we problem solve around that instead of just you don't do this or you do that? Yeah, totally agree. Always to use um, I statements, not you statements. Um, and staying calm. Staying calm in a conflict is one of those things that needs to happen, but often doesn't. Uh, and then of course things can escalate, but it can be hard to stay calm, especially if you are dealing with that toxic person or someone who is getting triggered all the time by you. And it sounds like a simple thing, but we know it's not easy. So what should someone do if they find they're in a bad situation, it's getting escalated, but they want to stay calm? How can someone calm themselves down through this conflict? Well, I always think, I mean, one of the key steps in my brand of conflict resolution is to push pause. But, you know, you need to, it's helpful if both people kind of understand, like, this is a process we have. Whereas if it starts to get heated, it's not serving either of us. We're going to walk away, but we're going to promise to come back. You know, we're going to set a date to come back and try to finish this when we've had time to collect our thoughts about it and feel better. Because nobody likes it, you know, when someone's trying to walk away in the middle of something, if you haven't talked about that before. But I think that's the, even with kids and everything, it's like the first thing. It's like, you know, either party is allowed to say, I need a minute here. 
but you do have to promise to come back so that person doesn't think that you're just going to, you know, abandon the conversation. Yeah. And, you know, I want to talk about that with kids too, because we're all parents here. And I do think it's essential that we teach and transfer these type of skills to our children, especially when it comes to conflict resolution and resiliency. Sometimes they seem to work through conflict much easier than us adults, right? But I'd love if you could speak on the kids a little bit, because when we're blended, lots of times there could be some intense step-sibling rivalry, um, or even step-parent and step-child issues. And I know for the kids, you know, I won't ask how to get them through the conflict because they will get through that conflict usually on their own, but it's us adults that try to interfere, um, or to, you know, and I think that we, we do need to model it first, but, um, what do you have to say on talking about when things blow up with the kids? Like, how can we, how can we set the best example when this almost causes a panic for us in our relationship, right? When the kids are Mm -hmm. fighting or when there's a problem there. So what can you talk about that? Well, I think that having little conversations, you know, having a culture where you actually can talk about things when people have gone away and collected their thoughts and come back. So, you know what, I guess let me back up for a second. Like what people don't always realize is the fact that how how connected our thoughts and our emotions are. So when we're having like really strong negative emotions, the only thoughts we really have access to are really strong negative thoughts. It just doesn't it just doesn't work that you can separate them. And so that is why pressing pause and doing something to feel a little better emotionally and take a little of the pressure off is good because then you actually can calm down and have access to more constructive solution-focused thoughts. But what happens is people don't do that or they walk away from each other or somehow they get through it. And then when they're feeling better, they don't want to reignite it. Mm. So it never gets resolved. It just sits there because nobody wants to poke the bear. But actually, if you can think, if you can remind yourself to get clear about when you look back on that thing of like, well, what is it that I need? Like what's underneath this? What is it here? And even back further from that person, like it's not like, well, that person, I don't want to have to share with them. Well, okay. So is it that you need to have some space or some things that are just your own? Is it privacy? Like, and as, as a parent, we can help our kids figure that stuff out. But it needs to happen not in the heat of the moment because none of us are going to solve problems very well in the heat of the moment. So those are the those are the kind of conversations that you want to help normalize is, look, I know I'm not trying to stir something up again, but can we look back on that and figure out now that we're calmer? Like, what is it? Like, is there something that you need that we could actually make happen here that would make this work better for you? Maybe not. Maybe there's not. But usually there is something. And so... I think that is like modeling the problem solving in the calmer moments after the fact and then readdressing the situation so they don't all just get left hanging after the conflict with a winner and a loser. Yeah, that's such a great answer because we all know how energy is. And when you have a really negative situation and you have that negative energy flowing back and forth between you, it is good to press pause and that way that energy can dissipate. And so that was a really good answer. And I think we can also teach our kids what a great skill at teaching them when they have a conflict to just stop and think 
for a moment about their thoughts and their emotions, because you're so right, Kristen, they are so tied together. Um, And I instantly, I'll do that now. Like if I'm in a bad mood, I'll be like, wait a minute, what was I just thinking about? Because it must Mm -hmm. have been something I was thinking that triggered me to feel this way. And so I think if we could all be a lot more self-aware, we could learn how to get through these things. So that was just wonderful. Um, So you have some online courses, Kristen, and I really want to give you an opportunity to share what those are about. Well, I am just trying to get resilience to young people as much as I can. And so I I developed a course called Resilience-Based Parenting that helps parents have these small conversations that build resilience. And so it's actually an audio-based course because I sort of learned the hard way that people want things, you know, in bite-sized pieces. And also the audio is so great. I mean, we're doing it right now, so you don't have to stop what you're doing. You know, you can listen to these little 10-minute audio skills that we send and while you're walking the dog or while you're, you know, washing the dishes. And so it's just really one skill at a time that's just going to help you have a conversation. And in that conversation, you're remembering the skill yourself as a parent, you're teaching it to your kids. And in doing so, you're actually becoming, you're bonding with your child and you're modeling good behavior for your kids. So, and it's, they're simple. They're not meant to be like, you know, those used to be, you had to, you know, call your kid over and sit down and have the talk. You know, we're trying to help you have these meaningful little mini conversations that over time build a culture where your kids really feel seen and heard and you feel like you've taught them some skills that are going to serve them for all their relationships for the rest of their lives. Yeah, I love that you're doing that for kids because we all know how difficult life has been lately. And if they could learn these life skills early on, we we would have a lot less struggling adults in the world. I would say that if we all had the right skills to get ourselves through some things. So that's that's wonderful. What is your website again? It's mcdermottmethod.com. Okay. And I'm actually going to put up a um, a page just for you that will just be mcdermottmethod.com forward slash, do you want me to just call it blended family podcast or whatever you tell me? Do, do blended um, to make it nice and easy. Just yeah. blended. Perfect. Yeah. And then so I'll put on there some freebies and some just some information and some discounts and that kind of a thing for people. Thank you so much. That's wonderful. So for the listeners, I strongly encourage you to go check out the website. I will put the link in the show notes for you so that you can do that. But this is such good information for you and your entire blended family for sure. Um, Kristen, I know that you help all kinds in your practice, um, including businesses, individuals, teenagers, couples. So you probably have so many success stories. And I don't want to put you on the spot, but are you able to share maybe one success story that you have from a blended family that maybe were having conflicts and they were able to work through it using your methods? Let me think. Who is going to come to mind? Um, I mean, I guess the one that comes to mind is actually just someone who they, it was what you talked about before. It was a really only one participant, right? You know, it was not the the other person. The conflict was really with the, you know, the other co-parent and and the the thing that feels like the su- success to me is that this was a mom and you know she had a belief that it wasn't going to be okay unless she could get the other 
parent, you know, her ex-husband, to actually agree with her about parenting philosophy and these things that felt really important. And she just thought if he wouldn't agree, the kids were not going to be okay. And the truth was, there was she came to realize that like, there it was enough for her to be the parent who modeled all of these good things, all of this open communication and like really being there for the kids and hearing them and helping them and allowing them to talk about these things. And it was enough for her to do that, even when the, you know, the ex-husband really was worse than just a neutral participant. He really had some, you know, was not adding anything positive. And interestingly, as soon as she let go of that need to change him and took responsibility for herself, it was okay. It was enough. The kids were okay. The kids are okay. And we're and strangely, the conflict lessened, you know, because she wasn't so triggered by it. And she didn't have this need that he had the power to, you know, deny her. I love that so much because it shows that you can have the blended family that you want, even if it's just you right now trying to do the work, even if you can't get anybody on board. And I think that that's so powerful because many of us feel, like you said earlier, we're white knuckling it, just waiting, waiting for the next shoe to drop or waiting for the next problem or chaos. And no, it doesn't have to be that way. And we can start the change. It starts with us. So thank you so much. Before we go, Kristen, I just wanted to give you a moment to offer any last words of advice or encouragement for my listeners who might be dealing with conflict or a difficult blended family and they feel defeated right now. What would you say to them? I guess I would say um, consider their own needs. Like, is there one thing that they could do to take care of themselves? You know, one, even symbolic, but one step of self care. Because, like we said before, you know, especially when there's a lot of conflict and there are a lot of people that we've got to take care of, we can put our own needs on the back burner. And it's, it's when you just take a step, even if it's a small one that's, that's saying, okay, I'm setting an att- intention to take care of myself because my needs matter. It actually starts the ball rolling and it builds momentum. I mean, I've seen it happen so many times. We're just, you know, someone walks in my door and says, I'm ready to find some way for things to be better. And then boom, all these things start happening. So I think it's that is just like one thing, one even small thing to do for yourself with the intention of showing yourself that your needs are important. Mm, Such great advice. Thank you. Listeners, I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Kristen and that you learned something about conflict resolution as well and resiliency. It's not always being in agreement with others. It's about how to handle the disagreements and how to move forward from that space with strength. So if you're experiencing conflict and you just can't seem to find your way out, consider seeking help from our wonderful guest today, Kristen, who's skilled in bringing you through conflict and onto the other side with resilience. Thank you for joining us. Please share the show with someone you know who could benefit from the message. Kristen, thank you so much for being here to help us with one of the main blended challenges we have. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciated it. You have been listening to the Blended Family Podcast. For more information, please visit the website at blendedfamilypodcast.com. Remember, to create the peaceful home you desire, all you need is love.